Greetings, boils and ghouls. You're listening to Crypt Creepers, the podcast where we exhume and rejuvenate the greatest horror anthology of our generation, Tales from the Crypt. I am Mary Johnston, and this creepy crawler with me is my brother, Thomas Johnston. What up, dude? Hello, world. It's <laughs> nice to be back in the crypt again. Took a little time off for the winter holidays. I unsuccessfully tried to introduce my family to some of the Crypt Keepers um, holiday novelty album with mixed success. You didn't listen to Deck the Halls with Parts of Charlie while everyone opened presents on Christmas morning? I was I I, I maybe tried to pitch that idea that was rapidly kiboshed. Mm. It's because you have children who might right, we be can't, ups- we can't have we can't have saintly children going off to daycare talking about <laughs> decorating uh, the house we- with people's pancreases and kidneys. We wish you'd bury the misses. Exactly. It's hurting property values. It's hurting property values. In Grandpa Brown went face down in his foot's and gravy. See, it's great. It's the it's not the I best, but it's it it's to up there. Appease you. I actually realized I I, I neglected to say something uh, hilarious on the bonus episode, which I hope all listeners have enjoyed. And if you didn't, why not go back and listen to that and then catch back up with us? So and enjoy this joke that you're going to make retroactively. Well, so I looked at the liner notes to kind of see who the personnel were on this and everything. And the liner notes are like like eight or ten pages long, but that's because they com- they reprint the entirety of the and all through the house, uh, EC comic strip in black and white, uh, in the liner notes in, in completely, and uh, and then there is one page that is kind of like yeah and here are the guys who wrote the songs and here are the guys who played the music. Huh. So was it? Were there any surprises? Was it like produced by Dre? No, 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 no. It's like a bunch of like. Kind of and the executive and producer people. is Mick Jagger. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Who'd have thought that Steely Dan? It's just Michael him, like. McDonald. What are you doing here? <laughs> All right. So today we were going to discuss as part of our little introductory chat uh, remakes that are better than their originals because is... we have kind of a little bit of deja vu with this episode. Yeah, this it, it's it's a little awkward structurally. But I think it's fair to say that this episode is a lot like an episode of the first season and is, in fact, directed by the same person and basically has a similar, if not almost identical plot. And I think it's also fair to say that spoilers, both you and I thought that this was a more successful outing for this this concept. Indeed. Should we get to the meat? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Season two, here we go. So Mary, are you watching this on DVD? Yes, why? So do you hate the menu for the season two DVD like I do? You know what? Speak on it. Oh, it, it, it has this like weird non-moving or maybe minimally moving bad looking Crypt Keeper puppet that looks like like some sort of strange knockoff that 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 talks at you when you're doing your menu selection. And it, if I recall correctly, he maybe is dressed like an old timey doctor, but it, it looks so bad. It looks like 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 a terrible, a terrible knockoff bootleg sort of situation. And you're like, why did you even do this? You're like, John Kassir shouldn't have even gotten out of bed that day. Yeah, that might not even be his voice. Um, we should not should not discourage anyone from buying the DVDs uh, using our Amazon affiliate. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So Kassir's boat isn't going to pay for itself. I'm the leader. I'm going to give the synopsis. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's 1950s New York. And Kathy is a secretary turned strip club waitress who wants nothing more than to marry a rich man and secure her future. She visits visits a psychic who tells her that one of her revolting regulars, Charlie, is poised to inherit a fortune and will die a violent death shortly after. Despite her better instincts, Kathy marries him and passes her days eating automat sandwiches and daydreaming about how Charlie will meet his end. However, Kathy should have trusted her gut because it might have saved hers from spilling out on the living room floor. <laughs> <laughs> So this is the second directorial outing of uh, Howard Deutsch. Um, More like Howard Deutsch, am I right? (laughs) This is his 
uh, only five. other uh, TFTC episode. Um, this is, of course, the guy who did Pretty in Pink. He's married to Leah Thompson, who is Vicky Vane. Um, directing Some kind of wonderful is actually the best thing he did. Right. And uh, he um, he's sort of telling a very similar story about gold diggers and uh, uh, the peril of entering into marriage without having love as your top priority. Um, and well, I think so does... deep. She doesn't. She doesn't. I mean, it's definitely about like it's a morality tale about why one shouldn't dig for gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just think that they both, I think, have sort of funny ways that they constructed about like why gold digging is wrong. It's <laughs> we, true. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Um, but this was the only other. This was the only other episode he directed. Um, I don't know how these episodes or how the decision was made uh, where they would debut these put these episodes in order. But it is really weird to have him in cl- such close proximity to himself. With such similar episodes, if this was buried in the middle of the season, you wouldn't it wouldn't stick out quite so much. Um, then, of course, the uh, writer is Andy Wolk, who um, does a lot of TV directing work. Um, he, in fact, actually uh, directs an episode um, in Tales from the Crypt next season. He does the season three episode thirteen spoiled, so we'll get there. But um, Probably most notably, he directed um, the Boca episode of The Sopranos, the one where Junior Soprano is very concerned that his guma is telling everybody that he performs oral sex, which apparently is something that made men do not do. It was It's early in Sopranos. It's, it's famous. Um, and uh, so that's your writer. And then I think this is probably the first, would you say this is fair? The first Tales from the Crypt episode with like serious A-list talent, um, Demi Moore and Jeffrey Tambor. Probably well, Demi Moore for sure. Yeah, yeah, Demi Moore time. certainly. Yeah, and then Jeffrey Tambor sort of he yeah, seems sort of bread and butter for well, this it, kind it of thing. It seems funny. He was sort of. I feel like he's like a character actor who then who then thanks to uh, like Transparent and uh, uh, probably even more so Arrested Development um, became famous and then now was ready to be canceled and sink without a trace. Um, well. But but just to say that I think that the I, I feel like this is the first time we've got like like big stars in the in the episodes um and then Demi Moore um, is by far the most famous person we've seen thus far yeah yeah no question who would hold be on to your no hats one... for next episode oh well um we'll talk about that at the end of the se- of the series yeah. but um i feel like it's actually very very well cast so yeah. leah thompson in sin deep sort of was not convincing because she kind of didn't have the right blend of vulnerable she's too vulnerable which you need this character to be a little bit right mm-hmm. but she yeah. doesn't she doesn't seem tough at all she seems like the girl next door and that's like her deal anyway so to right. suddenly throw her she's working hard against type whereas demi moore kind of always plays this sort of character where she's like tough but vulnerable like a little yeah. bit like grungy around the edges, but also deeply glamorous. This this, this angel is... with dirty face. Yeah, yeah. For oh sure. God, is that a, is that a trope? <laughs> no, no, isn't that uh, isn't that the name of the horror movie? No, sorry, the gangster movie that uh, 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 Angels uh, with Filthy Souls. I think you'll find oh, is this, thought, Angels oh, okay. with a Dirty Face. <laughs> Works too. <laughs> yeah, but it also sounds deeply porny. <laughs> Maybe no. Um. The uh, Gibby and I were at Damien Moore's in her career. This is post um, St. Elmo's Fire. This is also uh, right before she acts in Ghost. She's currently married to Bruce Willis. Um, Pumping so out three right, of his so, five daughters that all look identical to him. How terrible so, would it be to have Demi Moore as your mom? And then instead you just have your dad's big old egg face on top of your <laughs> neck. Ugh. I feel like this is the thing where I have to get the, get, 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 the, get the attorney involved and say allegedly a bunch. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but, but anyway, just to say she, she, her career is definitely on the upswing. Um, she is several years away from, uh, the things that I remember her, you know, be voicing Esmeralda in Hunchback of Notre Dame and scandalizing the world by then also being in striptease and, uh, and causing, then, and then causing mothers across suburbia to, <laughs> disapprove to clutch their pearls and then yeah. scandalizing the world again by dating the kutch it's interesting that you bring this up mary i i i would assume that being as you're such a fan of his his television work with punked um, how dare you <laughs> it's how? fine we could do a mary mary look i promise you we can do a bonus episode all about punked and how much you love it how dare you say that i only speak the truth no you don't you tell 
terrible, terrible lies. <laughs> so, but did you have anything else that you wanted to say about the Kutch? Um, no. All right, fine. <laughs> but then, okay, so then you so you have her, and she's playing. She's playing like right down the middle. She's really good for this role. Then yeah. uh, Jeffrey Tamor, who uh, made a grand old dame of the theater cry and also sexually assaulted uh, apparently numerous people and is probably a garbage person um, is perfect in this role because he has kind of the, he has the character actor chops to play this like super over the top, super prosthetically like slapped together monster of a man, a creature. Right. Absolutely. This also is, um, in 92, he'll be Hank on the Larry Sanders show. Um, so that was sort of his uh, chipping into modern television series and comedy. So this is also sort of his his career on the rise as well. So we kind of, we kind of, we not, not to belabor the point, but I feel like, so talking about the talent, I think that they're better. I already kind of touched on, I think that, um, uh, Demi Moore is a better actress at this role than Leah Thompson was for sure. Um, but it, it, you know, this is weird. This is a weird deja vu episode. I feel like it's much more successful and I kind of wanted to get into why we think that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the first thing that strikes when you're watching this movie is, or the movie, ah, take a drink. When, uh, when you watch this episode is that you can tell they really turned the money faucet on. <laughs> This is definitely higher budget than than the previous season. <laughs> is it because it has more than one set? Yeah, more than one set and extras. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks good. It's uh, doesn't her doesn't her friend who's like the main extra in this have like a ridiculous name like Chinchy? Oh, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. She's a nonsense name. <laughs> a nonsense name. I'll look it up. Keep talking. So, so this this episode, I, I really do think is sort of like like a little bit of a do over. Um, uh, I think it benefits from having largely more sympathetic characters and people with motivations that sort of make human sense. Um, it is it is a period piece, uh, even even more retro than it ordinarily is when we watch these episodes being set in I think 1950. Although I was watching, I don't think we ever get a crawl. You just are sort of given contextual clues based on how people dress and what the cars look like and stuff like that. Um, it's the late 40s or early 50s. Yeah, right. Uh, like, it, it has to be yeah. one of those two. Right. Yeah. I mean, another thing I think is important to say is you and I both did not care for Sindeep at all, yeah. really. Yeah. So it's yeah. an incredibly low bar to step over. But I think that this is a, a slightly better than average episode anyway. Um, and I think one of the reasons it's so good is... It's very um, minimal in in the story it needs to tell, so mm-hmm. it can really hit its note its notes hard, and you can kind of you have enough space to kind of see the story that it's telling develop over time. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, before in uh, Sin Deep, you had Leah Thompson; she had to immediately. She had to go sell her beauty. Then she had to go seduce the rich guy. Then they had to live together and her beauties had to start falling apart. Then she had to go back to the guy, discover the third act mysterious dead bride in the back room. There's just like a lot of cruff there. And so you can't really hit hit it. Whereas this story is more like, you know, Demi Moore as Kathy um, is, it feels like she is financially... You know, is is a gold digger wants to find a rich husband. She starts seeing the psychic. The psychic's like, marry that guy who who's at the place that you work at. She does. You see that their marriage is horrible for her. Um, she inherits a bunch of money. Surprisingly, she goes back to gloat and get out of there because now she has she has the money. She has the power. He stabs her. She, indeed, that's how he inherits his money. And then he dies in the electric chair. That's a much more straightforward story. Mm-hmm. Also, also keeping the record of uh, electric chair deaths in Tales from the Crypt. Well, I was far wondering above if, any other. Uh, well, and it's also it's the cons- the second consecutive season opener to end with the character dying in the electric chair. Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah. weird. Maybe this is the other the headlining half... male character dying in the electric chair. Maybe this is the other half of the man who would be death. Maybe, maybe it's just Wait, slightly what? different because right at the end. At the end, you have that woman who apparently killed her boyfriend, but maybe not, working at a strip club. You got Kathy, same kind of story. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe I think maybe this. I think this is more of a prequel. I think that. Uh, uh, that you think uh, that uh, Kathy Bill and Sadler Charlie's is... baby is 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 Bill Sadler? <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. But yes, no. I I was thinking that he was throwing the switch, which also doesn't make sense. How old? How old is the man? Is he? <laughs> BC is a caveman. Um, <laughs> so. So I think that it has that going for it. I also think you kind of got on this. So let, let's get into why Why do you feel like the characters are more sympathetic? I agree with you, but I'm curious mm-hmm. to hear what you have to say. Oh, I don't know. I think that um, I, 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 this is just I think this will just sound like I'm griping about the previous episode. I, I think that in this, the characters are at least kind of sympathetic and they don't they're, they're not doing cra- crazy outlandish things. I think uh, also. Placing it in the past kind of makes the woman securing her financial future via marriage seem somewhat more, like, palatable. Yeah, no, I agree agree entirely. You know what I mean? Like, like, I'm not, I'm still not, like, you know, like, super okay with it or anything. But you're like, yeah, she doesn't have any options, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Well, right. uh, So this, so I think it's kind of interesting because I think this is also our first story that is explicitly set in the past. You might be mm -hmm. able to like piece or you might be able to make the argument like uh, maybe collection complete, like maybe their their outfits would imply timeless. It's it's timeless. Yeah. No, no, you're totally right. But this this is the first first obvious like (laughs) costume drama tales from the crypt. Yeah. No. So it's like it's it's definitely intentionally set in the past and and specifically in the late 40s and early 50s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, women women do not have the same earning potential as a man does. And in fact, the way women are supposed to be upwardly mobile is they're supposed to, quote unquote, marry well. So I think it's sort of weird. You know, the Crypt Keeper directly calls out in his, in his preamble, he directly calls out um, Kathy as a gold digger. But she's our third gold digger. Like, or at least main character who's a gold digger that we have seen. And I think she's the least, certainly the least detestable. And and I would argue maybe not even really that much of a gold digger compared to everybody else. At least yeah. her initial feelings on the matter. So Leah Thompson sets out to, Leah Thompson is a gold digger because she sees a rich man. She's like, I'm going to go become rich through that I'm going to dig that gold. Yeah, no. I'm going to dig that gold. Then you have Charles, which is weird. You got Charles and Charlie. Yeah. They need like a na- they need a baby name book um, huh. from Lover Come Hack to Me. And he's definitely more detestable because he intends to marry not at all for love and then kill his wife yeah. so that he can yeah. inherit. That's not part of her plan either. You don't really get the sense that she has has ruled out the concept of love or has decided that money is the only thing that matters to her. You just kind of get the sense that she's sort of like, um, she reminded me more of like a thoroughly modern Millie sort of figure who's like, I'm going to marry my boss because that is a practical, sensical thing for me to do to secure my future, which yeah, I mean, is yeah. not really gold digging. There was a little bit of kind of woolly dialogue, though, when she's talking to the uh, man of Vorna, the fortune teller, and um, talking to man of Vorna says, what about love? And she's like, oh, I don't care about that. You know, we're sort of, she says, but does not show um, that, you know, apparently she's supposed to be, yeah, just you know, just to say she's supposed to be mercenary and not care about love and only wants to marry someone rich to secure her future. Right. It's sort of, I, about, sort of she's comes... sort of like passively not a romantic <laughs> It, yeah, it comes across that she's not a romantic, she's practical, is what I would say, versus being um, murderous and a soci- like a sociopath, psychopath, like Charles is. Oh, yeah. Or, well, and even then, she really is like more like a – is she a Greek tragic hero? You know, she, she she's told a prophecy that she doesn't believe and then it comes true. And then right. she's told more prophecy and why w- why wouldn't you just go with the prophecy? You know, right. in the, in, she's 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 not villainous, you know, in the when it becomes so to make it clear um, she, she is told by the fortune teller that she will marry a man who will inherit a bunch of money and then shortly thereafter die. So she so she and she so she marries uh, uh, Jeffrey Taylor as Charlie under about 30 pounds of prosthesis. And um, uh, they, they have a sort of gross <laughs> marital life together married to this disgusting fat man who has no money um uh, waiting for his wet, rich uncle to die um she later finds out that the uncle is not not 
has a family and is not going to die. And then she wins a million dollars in the automat and she goes home and tells, gives her husband what for and tells her she's leaving him um, and says things like uh, no more smelling your stink, that stinking sewer you call your body. Thanks for three months of nausea. <laughs> Every day with you was like an eternity in hell. Uh, so she doesn't, I mean, <laughs> she wishes him well, but she's not going to hurt him or anything. I mean, just hurt his feelings. She just wants out. Um, but of course, he then stabs her, inherits her money, and then is executed. So uh, it's a monkey's paw kind of kind of situation. So it's really sort of like, is she a victim of fate? Could she have, if Madame Vorna is as good as they say, could could Kathy have done anything to prevent the situation? Well, I think Man of Vorna, so that at the end, um, you find out that uh, Jeffrey Damore's uh, Charlie is getting electrocuted for, from an uh, old-timey newscast. And yes. then you and then it pans back and you see that it's Madame Vorna who's watching it while eating popcorn with her cat. And she kind of has this sort of like satisfied look on her face like, yes, everything, everything did happen as I foresaw. So I think she knew... It seems sort of like potentially Madame Vorna is, is if anyone, I guess, a little villainous for not giving Demi more the heads oh, up. Definitely villainous. If she knows all this, why is she being vague and cryptic? Unless there's, like, is it fate? There's nothing anyone can do? Is there no yeah. individual human agency? At the very least, she's like one of those annoying people that's like, it's lying through admission. I did nothing yeah, admission, wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Also, I mean, let, let, if you want to break this down. So it's said that he will die violently and he's electrocuted in the electric chair. And then the newscaster who knows way too much, who says, who mentions that, uh, uh, Kathy was, was, was told this fortune and all this stuff. How does he know that? Um, that's a crazy thing to know. They must have found Kathy's diary. I don't know. (laughs) know Maybe he was a, maybe he's a close personal friend, in which case, probably probably should find somebody else to do that newscast. It seems like a conflict of interest. Yes. Um, but they also say a violent end for a violent man, which, number one, is being electrocuted to death in the electric. I mean, yeah, it's a bad way to go. But do you think of that as being especially violent? Yes, I do. I mean, you think compared so? I mean, to. Yeah, like compared to like for certainly compared to like lethal injection. I think it's like the difference between like a suicide attempt via hanging versus mm-hmm. taking some pills and going to sleep. Yeah, I'm just saying, though, like like compared to being like hacked up with an axe or beaten to death with a pipe or even shot. It's just, it's just weird. And then we say, they say he's violent, but if really, if anything, um, Charlie is kind of, kind of gross. And there, there is some horribleness that we can talk about, but for the most part is not a violent part. doesn't seem to be a violent person. If anything, he, at least in closing, he, 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 he apparently thinks that he deeply loves Kathy and that they have a great life together. And then kills her in sort of a weird, you know, if I can't have you, no one can sort of sort of thing. But we don't see him being violent prior to prior to the stabbing at the end. I mean, I think it's just like it's the sensationalism of the 24 hour news cycle. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I, I mean, oh, no. tales from the crypt. Your, your parody is so sharp. <laughs> but no, um, I mean, yeah, I think violent end implies that someone is going to kill him, which does yeah. happen. Uh, right. versus... That someone just happens to be the state. Right. You and I are watching this through the lens of knowing that we're watching a Tales from the Crypt. So we're like, obviously, someone's going to be killed. No one dies of natural causes in this show. But, like, mm-hmm. definitely the electric care versus, like, going to, like, dying in one's sleep, far more violent. Yeah, yes. I, I would say that. Yeah, I just, it just seems kind of, it seems like odd. I mean, if he was executed by firing squad, definitely violent. Yeah. Um. Well, I think kind of getting around to, um, why does he kill her in that way? I think sort of taps into what I think is the bigger and the biggest and most unique feature of this episode, which is, you know, so we've seen, we've seen sort of a straight down the middle with only skin deep, uh, only sin deep where it's like gold diggers be gold digging. And once their beauty fades, that's the, the, all, their whole plan is up. It's kind of one of these things where everybody wants to be like, Oh man, if you're a stripper, you can only do that for so long. I'm like, you can also only be a construction worker for so long. It's sure, just like, sure. it's just that we have these weird ideas of like 
beauty standards where we tell women that the most important thing they can be is beautiful and then constantly remind them that it's going to be it's it's fleeting it's going to disappear all, forever right. and all, and also it's sort of cheating and not not good right sort and also what, if you are beautiful almost then, like we're societally gaslighting them <laughs> yeah totally so like that's kind of the story there and then um the inverse for the uh charles uh golding story is that he thinks he's the only schemer and the one that will that will ultimately benefit from this relationship. But he doesn't realize that uh, he also has certain certain riches that she is interested in and she has the exact same plan. So you kind of have like like a like a braided together story. So you can see like, oh, well, a gold digger has alternative mo- ulterior motives, so does the person they marry sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that's that story. But this sure. one is more about um, the gold digger herself suddenly finds her... If the gold digger finds herself to be suddenly quite wealthy. How does that work now with the, the way that she has positioned herself in life? And yeah. I think kind of puts the finger on a more interesting topic of what of a kind of a more moral tale around gold digging, which is power differentials. Yeah, which is sort of interesting. Um, no, but I think this one really kind of plays it straight, um, except that Charlie really has no power at all. He's, he's, he's hideous. He's sort of physically monstrous. She's mean to him. Um, he is sort of pathetically into her. Uh, you know what I mean? That we don't. Ha- you don't have the the. I I I. <laughs> I'm a horrible, gross man, but I have all the money. You're a beautiful young woman, but but you need but you need what I have. Um, That's in this true. case, it's it just it's sort of um. It's uh, it's just different. It's in that in that it is sort of played straight. Um, but I also think that because she's not at she's. The, Again, does it count as gold digging if you just think this is how fate will work? Um, yeah, that's. A, I mean, it's a good question. I think that we have to kind of address her as a gold digger because that is what the the crypt keeper himself tells us that she is. But I right. think that sure. I think sure. that the story gives us a more a more nuanced and interesting portrayal. Yeah. Um, I do I do agree, and I I think it's well you have excellent point that Charlie does doesn't have any power in and of himself. It's sort of like the fates have given him the power, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is actually kind of appropriate given that um, he's a man and she is a woman in this in this equation. So even though, and definitely I would never suggest that Tales from the Crypt is a particularly body positive show. Like mm-hmm. we're supposed to think that Charlie's a bad person because he's not attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's morbidly over uh, and and especially they keep calling him fat i'm like that's actually not the problem with charlie the problem with charlie is that he's deformed in the face that is actually a way bigger problem with charlie but um so like i think that sort of it's it's punishing kathy um who is conventionally attractive and should have the kind of that power differential she should have him on the ropes because she's beautiful and he's ugly but he mm-hmm. still somehow has more options and still somehow is able to move through the world um, kind of like nice nice guy ag- aggro hitting on her at a club that is her mm-hmm. place of work. Right, right. Well, and she's a waitress at a strip club, which, you know, and when she's – I guess I, I've never been to a 1950s strip club or a modern strip club, but – this seems really modern based on watching movies in that the bartender gets on the microphone and is like, welcome to the main stage. And then introduces, uh, introduces Kathy as the new waitress and says, um, uh, if you're warm and generous with your tips, she may be warm and generous with you. You're like, Thanks a lot, jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Charlie keeps saying things like I'm the kind of guy who won't take no for an answer and it's destiny. And uh, I'm interested. Certainly, certainly, a modern read on that is that he's being sort of, sort of creepy and a, a creepily aggressive. Um, uh, not never in a way that I that I felt made it seem like uh, Kathy was unsafe, but definitely inappropriate. Um, I don't know how this would. I, I don't know how this would have played in the 50s when this was probably actually written, and um, even in the you know, or early in 90s. The 90s. Is, when is, this was would this be TV. you know like right like would this be a is it 
is he is he being is he being sexually aggressive in a rapey way or would this be kind of like if you have a pathetic fat man in a modern thing who's like doing like pickup artist tricks like he's like you know he's trying to be like a well you know i'm hey babe you know i I know you're not interested but you know you should be interested in you know is he is he being like a parody of what would be viewed as suave or like you know playing the game the right way i don't know um, it I'm doesn't sure, help. It, it doesn't I, help with what later happened with with Tamar's career, but yeah. Well, maybe this is his David Duchovny moment where he just put a little piece of himself into this role, uh, mm-hmm. a little a little darkness in this role. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that I, I know what you're saying. Probably the the screenwriters who are writing this in the '90s weren't like and he is an aggressive male and this is about the patriarchy right like it's not (laughs) he's the ultimate fat pathetic patriarch with no money he's a beta male who and then you're like wait what what a a cuck yeah yeah no i don't i don't think that obviously they probably were not doing that but i think through our modern eyes you know like art art is a living thing and we we see things in different ways depending on you know right like we can't divorce ourselves from like the times we live in um i think that he is operating in a way that implies that she really doesn't have the ability to say no to him which what which is how men do talk to women Right. Yeah. So yeah. that is and that is a, that is like a something that happens because the patriarchy is a real thing. So mm-hmm. I still think that it's it's you know, you could have made this character hit on her in other ways. They chose this one. It is telling for the story that they are trying to convey. Sure. Sure. A- Regardless the- of original intent. After this, though, you know, I think that Madame Vorna is the villain of the story since. Right. Like after she gets hit on, she kind of she tries to she rejects his advances. And then she goes to talk to the fortune teller and is like, are you sure it's really this guy? And she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> why would you why would you encourage this? I guess maybe if you Madame know Vorna how it's going like, to turn out. Madame Verna doesn't care at all. <laughs> Madame Verna maybe just is incredibly, incredibly jaded. She's like, fate's going to fate. Did you notice that Madame Verna's dog is named Trotsky? Yes, I did. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, a dog, because she not says a cat. it like 30 times. Yeah. Well, yeah. Trotsky. She says it twice, actually. But yeah. uh, she says it a couple times. She, she cool. introduces both of the women in this. She introduces Debbie Moore and then the, and right, then right. the and other. Then they have the animal cookies and she's like, Trotsky loves them. <laughs> like, no, he, <laughs> he gets name checked a bunch. I think his name is. Uh, mm. Be interesting to go through and see if his name is said more than uh, Charlie or Kathy's name. <laughs> Definitely more than her friend Sally, whose name is definitely not Crindy, which is what I thought it was. <laughs> Crindy. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, I don't so, know but, why I thought that. But, okay, so I noticed something fascinating about this movie, though. Uh, sorry, this episode, though. When they're in the movies, okay, right? Their first date or second date or whatever. And she's sitting next to him and he has two enormous tubs of popcorn. And they very briefly show the movie they're watching. Do you know what the movie is? No, tell me what the movie is. They are watching... Um, uh, Jean Cocteau's 1946 La Belle, uh, Belle et La, Be- La Bette, The Beauty and the Beast from 1946 that was done by Cocteau, the famous surrealist filmmaker. This is like, you know, film nerds, this is, this is all over the place. It was um, a lot of the uh, design work and stuff is supposedly um, uh, inspirational for the Disney Beauty and the Beast. It has, it's, it's that you'll see stills from it. it it's the thing where Belle is walking down the hallway and a uh, long hallway and there's kind of drapey um, curtains being blown in on her. And it kind of looks like a <laughs> kind of looks like an 80s music video mm-hmm. or um, they have the the hand, the chandeliers that are hands holding candles that are like like a human hand and stuff. And in that. Mo- OK. And what we see is we see the beast. We see her face and the beast looks like a cat monster. And in f- a la, like, like, a la Beauty and the Beast, the uh, 90s. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, soap, soap opera, right? So, famously though, and this this is not this is not my idea. This is known and written about and everything. Um, the so the, so in this version of Beauty and the Beast is the first time they introduced a guy called Avenant, who is sort of the Gaston character, and he doesn't exist in any before this movie was made as sort of romantic rival. And he he and the Beast are played by the same actor, and the Beast 
infamously is 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 dressed under all this all this you know 1940s prosthesis and drape and everything and only emotes through his large soulful liquid eyes and conveys massive humanity and hurt and pain and sympathy and sort of elicits that through through his performance and this is you know famous so why is that in this episode <laughs> right <laughs> you have you have a man who is draped in prosthesis, who is only able to about using his eyes. And, uh, you know, there's a beautiful woman matched up with a beast. So are we like, are we supposed to feel really sorry for Charlie? Is it, I, I, are they trying to say that this is like a beauty and the beast story? Only it goes wrong. Cause like Kathy is not bell. Uh, it, it it's fascinating and crazy. It's a crazy detail to have it. You know, they could, they, they could be watching anything. They, they don't have to anything. show us what they're watching. They could have picked so anything. So it is a deliberate choice. Um, and, and, and right. You're, you, you, I feel like it's right on the cusp of having something cool to say, but then you're like, well, but I don't really think that, uh, does that really apply to this? Cause I mean, if so, like, man, what a bleak, what a bleak story. this is. Well, I don't, I, uh, that is you, that is fascinating. Mean, right? Good on you for doing all that legwork. I will say, yeah, yeah. from a very surface level, I think that they probably thought it was funny to yeah, be well, like, yeah, yeah. to be like, it's Beauty and the Beast, right? No, Get prob- it? She's yeah, the Beauty. Like, Beauty he's and the Beast. They're like, what's the year? <laughs> is it 1950? Good. We'll just put it in here. Yeah. No, for sure. I'm they sure were it was just sort of stealing like, something that seemed good. It's sort of like that. I will say though, isn't it interesting that our ideas about like a beautiful woman having to submit herself to a to an otherworldly creature and learn to love him as he loves her in return to f- set herself free is like an mm-hmm. idea that goes back to like you know ancient yeah. french fairy tales such yeah. that we have this story consistently throughout and like and like obviously obviously i think we've progressed p- past this you know, kind of in like woke society where we're like, it's kind of messed up that we're talking about these people as being beasts. But mm-hmm. in the in the story, in this story, do not body shame him. Yeah, right. In this story, Charlie is a beast, and in Beauty <laughs> and the Beast, the beast is like not human. Right. <laughs> like, right? right. And I yeah. think that Charlie is put in a similar sort of place where. Like, oh no, hundred percent. I mean, what this means is that maybe if maybe if Kathy was more patient and loved him and learn to learn to love him maybe the uncle would die and his whole family would like die in a big plane crash or something so then charlie could inherit the inheritance and also he would get a bunch of plastic surgery or like a liposuction or something and get really skinny and be hot (laughs) or maybe just like shoot up in the air and like light will shoot out of his eye holes and his fingertips yeah no exactly and and and, and as, as long as she does this before the magic rose wilts will be great it'll be fine but no, she, I just. But she, she boofs it up by getting mad and yelling at him, and he has to stab her. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She farts. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? No, I'm. I'm just saying that I think it's 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 telling that we have been telling the story, and that we and that the the moral lesson that we have passed down from Beauty and the Beast is that women need to need to <laughs> honey, be completely just settle. Just settle, honey. Well, need to be completely unsuperficial <laughs> in in their pursuits of love whereas men can be absolutely superficial so much so that the t- that the titular heroine is called beauty <laughs> like yeah, her yeah. name literally translates into beauty that's mm-hmm. all that she is and of course you know in the disney version they also make her like bookish and like blah blah, blah and she's brown hair so like yeah, yeah. whatever it, it, it's more it's more complicated in the cocteau movie she has two evil stepsisters and like it, you know she's the kind demure one it's it a sounds- whole thing yeah, got it, got it, got it, got it's, it. It's, but it's, I wor- do, it's worth a watch. But I do think that we have this idea that, like, these are the stories we tell we tell little girls. So if anything, actually, it makes me feel like n- Kathy's, quote-unquote, gold digging is actually just what she's been told to do. She's operating by society's rules. Madam Vorna is society. <laughs> Madam Vorna is the status quo. Which <laughs> is so weird. Do you think, do you think that Madam Vorna is, like, weird... Russian gypsiness was offensive in the early 90s. I think probably, yes, it was. Do you think it was offensive in the 1950s? <laughs> no, I think that they were like, they were like, that's exactly how no, they no, all actually, are. Actually, probably they're reading it. They're like, what offends me is that her dog is named Trotsky. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately the story, like the, the, the moral message of this 
right? So so she she by a twist of fate is a millionaire. She is the one hundred thousandth mm-hmm. customer at the at the automat. She becomes she becomes just a millionaire in that she inherits she wins a million dollars. Um which I guess at the time would have been an unbelievable amount of money. But yeah. there you go. And uh Dwight Eisenhower probably gonna take most of it though, you know, the top tax bracket thing. Hmm. Um who knows? Maybe maybe it's just maybe it's like shady maybe it's a shady automat money. It's just like delivered <laughs> to her in a duffel bag. Okay, do you remember a, when I'm sorry, she, in a valise. There's a bunch of hilarious stuff. Do you remember when she wins and the guy's like, What's your name? And she's like, What? She's like, just writing it down on the check here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> really weird. Um but I, right, so like the reason that Charlie stabs her, the reason that Charlie has the opportunity to stab her is she goes back in all of her finery that she's bought mm-hmm. with her newfound wealth, and she says, "I'm leaving you. I don't need you anymore. This relationship is no longer what I have to do to secure mm-hmm. my to secure my fi- my financial wealth. I'm mm-hmm. out of here." So she right. basically like flaunts. She flaunts her power, like the one thing that maybe he had the oper- like he had the. Mm-hmm. Um, ability to do that she did not see for herself. She now has that. So mm-hmm. she flaunts that power differential in his face and the status quo is brutally um, reestablished mm-hmm. in that he is driven to ki- to killing her at that point. He goes full Othello. Yeah. I do think that they could have done, but one of my, one of my uh, chief complaints is I think that we should have gotten hints that he was a violent person before. I kind of don't buy that he stabs her. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Yes. And it wouldn't have been. Because, that's what I mean. That's, that's where hard. it's kind of that's kind of confusing because, like, when you see them, uh, I I do love the the dance number. So after they get married, the the the, the sort of interstitial that is them that them sort of dancing and she's dancing uh, to uh, dancing cheek to cheek. Right, yeah. right, and and it's it's sort of taking place in like a dream space or like you know Chicago the musical or something, and you see her like going about the drudgery of daily life and washing his gross enormous uh, tidy whities and you know serving him. Uh, multi-course breakfasts she <laughs> she lays out dessert for breakfast and he's he's like married life is great you know and she's taking out taking a sneaky peek drink of liquor in the in the laundry room um but but you see him and, and it's sort of that thing where um people are dancing and they're not really in sync where he's kind of pushing her around the floor uh not not aggressively or violently just sort of ineptly yeah, uh, I, think I, thought, I, I think that there should have. I think that there should have been a scene where he like. Yeah, it, it would be. Yeah. yeah, if if he was a monster, if he was worse, that, that that's where the whole like Beauty and the Beast thing comes in. He's just sort of pathetic. Like he's got nothing going for him. Yeah, if yeah, if he was horrible. I mean, I think for her, really, the real realization is not. I I would quibble is maybe not even that she doesn't need Charlie because she had a job before. It's that Madame Vorna was wrong. And so she doesn't have to she doesn't have to stick around with Charlie to get her millions. That's true. Maybe like she's escaped fate. But still, like she's like, I don't need you anymore and because of this money. Because this, now I am in now I'm the leader. Now I'm right. the boss. Yeah. Madame Vorna is society and religion and everything. And once we realize that that's all pretend, ugh, then the normies have to rise up and kill us <laughs> lest we result in anarchy and people just doing what they want. Charlie's just a foot soldier of capitalism. That's right. <laughs> Makes sense. But Madame Vorna's dog is named Trotsky. Oh, so confusing. <laughs> well, see, Madame Vorna, it's just like anything else. It's just like the GOP doesn't want anyone to have abortions except their mistresses. That's so it's right. like Madame Vorna doesn't want anyone else to be a commie except her dog. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Yeah. This is... <laughs> Maybe like all Trotskyists, uh, Metavorta didn't seem to be trying to sell a newspaper or something to them <laughs> to raise money for the cause. So who knows? Um, I enjoyed the music, um, especially the dancing cheek to cheek. But they also did something. There's the part where she's fantasizing with her friend about how Charlie might die. And she she's talking about, like, maybe he'll choke on some food. And you see, you, you you know, you see the actor pretending to choke and stuff. But they're playing this sort of like goofy, jazzy music over it, which I'm sure is supposed to soften the blow. But I don't know if I want the blow to be softened. I don't want this to be sort of like goofy and cartoonish. They're playing. It, it would be like uh, 
it, it would be like watching a slasher movie, but they're playing like clown walking down the, you know, boom, 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 over the I top of it. I think it was, I thought, I kind of read that as it was supposed to be like, not really like a Buster Keaton, but it was supposed to be sort of like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. like a little bit slapsticky. No, definitely, definitely. It, it just, it's just odd. It's weird. It's weird yeah. choice. It, it, it felt thematically a little bit, because mm. like. You know, it sells from the crypt, right? Like, I either want him to be a monster or her to be a monster. Or, Who's the monster? Let's find the monster. <laughs> Locate the monster. Madame Vorn is the monster. No, Trotsky I think, the dog is behind it all. I would suspect after they did the cheek-to-cheek number, they were like, and it makes sense for us to do a, an homage to Slapstick when she's imagining how he's going to... I just think the execution yeah. is not quite yeah. right. Yeah, he, yeah, it's just... Yeah. Yeah, like the, act, the acting should have been larger to mm-hmm. accommodate that story. Yes. Um, did you notice that she gets fired for clocking in for taking t- an extra 25 minutes on lunch? I did notice That's why that. she gets fired. And that then she's walking. So Manawarna tells her that, you know, right, you're going to lose your job today and then you're going to get a new job today. And she's like, that that doesn't sound credible. I don't believe you. And um, so she comes in late and gets fired. And then is walking down the street and you see a like half dressed woman basically being like thrown out of this strip club by the like skeezy manager. And I don't I didn't write down any of the dialogue, but basically he's like, get out of here, you trash bag. Yeah. And she's like <laughs> and she's like, good luck replacing me. And he's like, oh, you're so unique. I'll never be able to replace. And you. then and then he just like sees sees Debbie Moore and is like, hey, do you need a job? <laughs> Sees, sees, a, sees a woman with a sharp hairdo and in business cash and is like, that's the type of woman who wants to work right, for right. me. Do you want to be a strip club waitress? And then and then Demi Moore also is like, yeah, I want to work for this guy. He seems like a good boss. Yeah. So in a sense, right, like is her crime not caring about love enough or is it like believing in fortune telling? Maybe this is one of those uh, like satanic panic, like don't get wrapped up in the occult or go see a fortune teller or else your 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 weird, gross husband will stab you. <laughs> I saw it more as the status quo is a lot more powerful than you think is like my yeah, modern yeah, sure. my modern interpretation of the moral. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that what actually what potentially what is the moral at the time that they're getting around to um, is that. Oh, man, I had it just now. What was it? Hold on. Fortune. Don't believe in fortune telling. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, and I think that ultimately it's not really so much a moral as it is like the cruel twists of fate. Mm-hmm. Like uh, it's sort of like a, it's a very macabre version of like you plan and God laughs kind of mm-hmm. story sure, where it's sure, like, yeah. oh, you think you know what's going on, but you don't. Life is a lot funnier than you think it is. Monkey's like, paw. Be careful what you think. Yeah. If yeah. you if you want to mess around in f- with fate, it's gonna bite you in the butt. Again, though, isn't that just an indictment of the occult? No. Okay. Um, did you notice that like she keeps? Uh, so uh, I feel like a recurring low key gag is she keeps going back to talk to Madame Vorna, and Madame Vorna is always like strangely bored and distracted, and, like doing other things while she and talks doing to her. very modern things. Like you see, like Madame Vorna, like jazzercising. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which which is cool. You know, maybe she can see the future and stuff. But. She keeps coming in and I keep wondering, how did, how is she getting into Madame Vorna's house? Like if Madame Vorna is sitting on the couch, like applying a facial, who let her in? Oh, I think that Madame Vorna has like has like a like a shop front and it's just right. that she's like crouching. Or right. She's right, sleeping right. rough. I mean, maybe, but she has like a couch and a TV and stuff. So, again, how does Debbie Moore get into Madame Vorna's like apartment or even that shop? Like, I think that like Madame, Madame Vorna just lives in that shop. Yeah, but if Madame Vorna's having a facial upstairs, who's letting people in the front door? Is the shop open? How does that work? It's just crazy. I think it's. I think she's still in her shop. I think she has the same kind of security system that the pawnbroker had in Only Sin Deep. Ah, yes. Uh, you mean you mean a loose latch? I mean, I mean a loose lock. Yeah, I mean a loose padlock with uh, external screws. You mean, <laughs> you mean a loose latch with a with a school locker lock attached to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. With a combination Did, lock. You know what? Uh, you know what Kathy needs in that last scene, right? Because she's like trying to go out the door, and then he advances on her, and they do a good job. He kind of is like low key, like holding the knife kind of down and by his side, so she can't see it. And then, like, raises the knife. She's like, oh, put the knife down and does, like, the cowering scream queen thing. You know what she needs? Joseph's gun. Joseph's gun would have fixed the situation. You're right. The, only the thing equalizer. Can, the only thing that can stop a bad Charlie with a knife is a, is a good Kathy with a gun. That's right. 
It would have helped the wife in uh, Collection Complete. I, Joseph's gun really is the, the universal solvent. The wife in Collection solvent. Complete did not need Joseph's gun. I know. Well, if she would have used Joseph's gun, like, immediately, <laughs> like, when he gets home and doesn't want to have his retirement party with the dogs, with the gold if, she just, if she just capped him right there, that would have been... <laughs> <laughs> she could have hit him with the gold hammer then it would have been equally effective yeah true true you're right just saying joseph's gun the universal solvent it is ubic yeah all right what do you rate this app so i um so this episode is definitely a big improvement over um only sin deep which i believe you and i gave twos i think i i listened back i think i gave it a one <laughs> Yeah, um, but we gave but, it low, low scores. Yeah, yeah, it, it scored low, um, and I think this is better um, for 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 a number of reasons, both structural and performance wise. But I think it's still ultimately a little bit, um, it's a little bit forgettable as a as a Tales of the Crypt episode. It's not, it's it's not especially like dramatic or 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 fun. It's not gross and exploitive, so it's better. But I still, I, I this is not one that I'm gonna, um, you know. Uh, keep revisiting or anything this is not one to tell your grandkids about right right so um i think i'll give this um two and a half giant white pairs of tidy whities i like it all right i liked it more than that um i think that it is interesting i like the stylistic i like the stylish elements like the time period the clothing i love (laughs) i love the dance number um and that did a lot for me i also think that the acting is pretty good um and that the story is uh, intentionally minimal to just like not get into not to not get into the driving plot and actor's way, which I think is is appropriate. Um, so I gave this app uh, a three and a half uh, out of five automat sandwiches. <laughs> so nice. I'm I'm that much closer to 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 winning my giant automat check. That's right. <laughs> just tell us your name so we can write it on the check. All right. So next time we will bid hasta la vista, baby, to these pencil-necked filmmakers and their puny pictures and roll out the red carpet for Arnold Schwarzenegger's directorial debut, The Switch. As always, we have an Amazon affiliated link um, in our show description um, that will help our podcast out. If you would like to go to Amazon and purchase Tales of the Crypt or anything, just follow our link. And that means that we will get some, some portion of your cart um but you know you should buy the tales in the crypt uh dvds not only to follow around along but um also uh line uh john Cassier's pockets with some silver mm-hmm. certainly he is deserving of that yep thanks for listening to crypt keepers please check us out on apple podcast stitcher or the podcatcher of your choice to subscribe rate and review us be sure to visit outrageousmechanisms.com slash crypt Uh, creepers with a hyphen to see our show notes and find out other excellent podcasts till next time kitties remember kathy thought she had it made but it turned out she just wound up with a sugar daddy oh Outrageous, outrageous mechanisms, mechanisms production. production.